majesty and wonder of Jesus, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Listen, he's risen indeed. So I hope you're getting settled this morning. Turn with me to Luke 23. I'm not going to read the a primary text today. We're going to look at chapters 23 and 24. You should have a copy with two, pe- two sides. Notes, if not, they're back there on the table. We have been on a three-week series. Uh, you're right in the middle of it on Easter. It just simply seeks to put Jesus Christ on display this morning. We normally have two worship services at 9, 30, and 11, but we tried to get us all in here this morning because we wanted to just be together and worship with each other. Last week, Luke 18 was our text. Just to get our minds wrapped around the context this morning. Because remember, Calvary happened at a place, at a place in time with a certain group of people that were at a certain time in history. And in that place and time, Calvary was set. The tomb was in place. So Luke 18, remember, Jesus was on His way to Jerusalem with His disciples. Remember the context. It was Pentecost. That was what was on the disciples' mind. This was a big deal if you were a Jewish person. And they were all coming to Jerusalem. Some of them to buy their their sacrificial lamb there. And some was carrying it. So we got this picture last week. That Jesus Christ, with His face turned toward Jerusalem, knew everything. Before the foundation of the world, He planned it. And He walked toward it. And He was our lamb. He carried himself to Jerusalem. This was the anticipation of the gospel. Of what was to come. Luke 18.34 makes it very clear. Though Jesus was very clear through his ministry. They didn't understand. And so what happened? Do you remember? They go to Jerusalem. They prepare the Passover. During that Passover meal that he shared with his disciples. He told him again, this is what's coming. This is what's happening. This is the picture. They didn't understand. Then they went to the garden. You remember the garden? The garden of Gethsemane. A place that in itself, for what was facing Jesus, he almost perished there, thinking about what was to come. What happened to the disciples? Went to sleep, remember? And it was in that garden, brothers and sisters, to everything that may have been private to some became public to all. Though the Pharisees did their little illegal preliminary trial in their own people at night, it did not take long. Find your place at Luke 23. In verse 18, that Jesus stands before Pilate and everything becomes public. With me at verse 18. Do we remember this time? Jesus had not only been before the religious leaders and then he'd bring them before Pilate. 
send him to Herod. Pilate wants rid of this situation. Now only to bring him back before Pilate. Pilate's investigated him and found nothing. Here's the crowd. We need him. I want you to see this morning. I want you to see the people. And the effect that this public display happens. Notice verse 18. But they, the crowd, all crowd together. Away with this man and release to us Barabbas. A man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demands should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder. For whom they asked that he deliver Jesus over to their will. You see, even by his enemies, he was declared innocent. 1 Peter 1, 19. Remember what Peter said? That Jesus is the Lamb without splot or blemish. Even Pilate understood it. But for Pilate, this was political. And so he turned them over to the will of the people. And I know on Easter that there is a temptation by the preacher to have to be clever or creative. We even laughed about it this morning as we prepared. You can even go on YouTube and watch these comical spoofs about how the preacher tries to be creative on Easter. It's not my goal today. Don't have to be. Turn with me to John 3. I want you to see this. Do you remember when the children of Israel were in the wilderness wandering around, whining, complaining, and God sent serpents in there to bite them? They began to perish. Do you remember that situation? So Moses crafted a serpent and lifted it up. That whoever looked at that serpent would be healed. Speaking of this. Pointing to himself. Listen to John 3 verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. So must the son of man be lifted up. And whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is all I want you to see this morning. Jesus Christ publicly gave himself for our sins and rose bodily from the grave. It's what we want to see. We just, I just want you to see that he was put on public display. This is not my opinion, nor the opinion of just a handful of people. This is history's reality. He was put on public display and he rose from the grave. And he rose from the grave, not with a spiritual resurrection, but with a bodily one. So let's look at these two chapters, Luke 23. Look at verse 26. Jesus Christ publicly gave himself for our sins. They led him away, carrying his own cross. Do you remember Simon of Cyrene had to step in? Pulled in, so to speak, because he was already had been beaten and tortured and body was in shock. 
But I want you to see something as he walks the road carrying his own cross. Let's look at the crowd. Luke 23, verse 27. And there followed him a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For they do these things when the wood is green. What will happen when it is dry? We see in this text, Luke does it, and all the Gospels do, but especially Luke, he accents the women. The, the women have a huge role in this passion narrative. And never, never in all the four Gospels are women ever recorded as being hostile to Jesus. Nor were they here. So what was he doing right there? He was telling the reality of something that was going to happen inside of 40 years, Jerusalem would be utterly destroyed. Exactly as he had already predicted. So on the way to the cross, he looks at the women and says, Don't pity me. Pity Jerusalem. For because they have rejected their king, judgment will fall on them. And it did. So we see the crowds, we see the women lamenting. And here we now we see he arrives at his destination. Look at verse 33. Still in chapter 23. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals on his right and one on his left. And I'm not going to get into the, the gore of Roman crucifixion. If you don't understand it, you owe it to yourself to study it. It was designed. It was a designed punishment for maximum penalty, maximum visibility, and maximum shame. Cicero said of it himself, it is the most cruel and horrifying punishment. It was designed, capital offense, for the worst of criminals. Barbarians and slaves, they didn't even do it to their own citizens. And it was designed, listen, this is important because we watch a lot of movies. It's designed for maximum visibility. Quintilian himself said of crucifixion, whenever we crucify the guilty, the most crowded roads are chosen where the most people can see and be moved by this fear. That was its design. It was designed to be visible. A visible shame. And so Jesus would have, they would have, he would have been naked, crucified in a place that would have been well traveled. Normally, crucifixion, they're, they're hung on the cross right above your eyesight. So as you go by, all people could see, you could look at them and see their shame. This was Roman crucifixion, this was what Christ went to. Willingly, maximum penalty, maximum visibility, and maximum shame. This is what Hebrews 12.2 says. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame. This was the crucifixion, and it had witnesses. We, we saw in verse 32, there's a couple of, I would say, unwilling would be the understatement of the century, witnesses, the criminals. You say, they had already been convicted. 
some kind of capital offense, and they were coming with him to the cross. Verse 32, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. So he was crucified with criminals, and for the Jewish people, that's no small deal. To be hung on a tree for a Jew was to be under a curse of God. So this was the crowds. But we see here that even the criminals give a response to this public display. They had two responses, remember? Verse 39. To the one, it was ridicule. Hey, if you are who you say you are, get us off of here. You look at verse 42, do you see it? There was another response from the other criminal who acknowledged his guilt and he acknowledged Jesus' innocence. And notice what he pleaded for was not temporal salvation, but eternal life. And on that cross, on that tree, the God-man granted it. I want you to see that even Jesus is responding here. We're not going to get into all the words of Christ. We'll, we'll post something about that later. But I want you to see in verse 34 his response to the crowds as they, tor as they tormented him, to the shame. He forgives. That'll preach right there. But he didn't let up this public display in verse 35 what happened. The leaders scorned him. And notice how they scorned him. They scorned him indirectly. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. So now imagine, remember, Jesus right above eye level to him. It would be as if I was, they were standing right here. Jesus is just a little bit elevated from them, crucified. And he's standing there. You ever had someone do this to the, talk about you like you're not standing there? That's what he, they were doing. They didn't, they talked about him. They never spoke to him. They scoffed at him. Why? To undermine the reality that if this Savior couldn't save himself, he's got, he's got no ability to save you. The soldiers were more directly, they were professional mockers and killers. Verse 36, we see the soldiers also mocked him coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. They were mocking him directly, the leaders indirectly. And then, brothers and sisters, where I want us to slow down this Easter. Normally, we're used to just talking about the resurrection. I want you to see the full gospel in display this morning. Look at verse 44. As darkness descends, brothers and sisters, the ransom is paid. It was now the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So there was three hours that in, in the daylight, darkness came. You see, Amos 8, 9, just listen to what it says. And on that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darkness and darken the earth in broad daylight. There was no one standing there that knew the Bible and the new God that did not understand that darkness meant judgment. 
in broad daylight darkness set in for three hours. The very judgment of God on our sins descended. And I want you to just think about the audience. Those that were standing there that said crucify Him. The soldiers that were mocking Him. The women who were weeping. The leaders who were scoffing. And all of a sudden, light hit Himself and darkness came. And instead of judgment falling on those who deserved it, it fell on Christ. That was what happened that day, at that hour. It was the day that hell came to Calvary. It came to Him. Listen, hell is not something the devil invents. It is not the devil's hell. God created hell. It is a place for justice. It is a place for judgment. And on that day, on that tree, hell came to Calvary and He bore its horrors. He bore it all. Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve how? To give His life as a ransom for many. This was the ransom time. And in Mark 15, verse 34, the parallel cot says, It is during that time. It was at the ninth hour that Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was the moment in time that he wept in the garden. He knew it was coming. That time where he must bear the wrath of God. And that the Father, whom he had been one in intimacy with for all of eternity, would turn his back on his Son. There was a response in all of creation. Matthew 23 verse 45 said, While the sunlight fell and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. It was in these hours of darkness that the separation that existed, there were multiple curtains in the temple all the way up to the Holy of Holies. Here's the point. Those that, have, that are outside, outsiders no more. The separation has been torn. It has been broken. Christ, our mediator, our king, our lamb, has broken the veil of separation. That is our sin that separates us from a holy God. Matthew 27, 51 says this, that at this moment, the earth shook. All of creation. Think of this. All of creation held its breath and erupted on earth when it's seen the wrath of God descend on the Son of God. It was at this moment in verse 46 that Jesus dies. And even in death, He was fulfilling Scripture. Psalms 31.5 was simply what Jesus quoted, except He added the word, Father. This was voluntary from beginning to end. Come back to his death in a minute. I want you to notice something in verse 47. Notice the responses begin to change. This is important. 
in the passion narrative. Look at verse 47. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. It could also be translated, certainly this man was righteous. In another parallel, we see that he, he says, certainly this man was the son of God. In other words, certainly this man was exactly who he said he was. The crowds began to respond. This, this ought to take your breath away. Verse 48. Those that had formerly ridiculed him, those that had said crucify him, crucify him, and walked to him to, to see him held up and to scoff at him. Now look at verse 48. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home. Beating their breast. They didn't understand that they would. It's what they knew. Something bad happened here today. And we're part of it. Something bad happened right now. That was the judgment of God that just came down. I saw it. And those that were screaming now went away weeping. If you do not find yourself on your knees dealing with your own sin, you have never been to this place. But make no mistake, at this point in the narrative, Jesus Christ is physically dead. Isaiah 53, 9 says, And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in death, although he, he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Verse 46 says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Even in his death, brothers and sisters, he was completely submissive to the Father's will and completely at peace. Is that you today? But oh, brothers and sisters, this is not why we have gathered this Easter morning, is it? For we gather here for one reason, why? To say with one voice, He's risen! He's not dead. He's not dead. He's alive. Jesus Christ rose bodily from the grave. This wasn't a mystical resurrection. This wasn't a spiritual resurrection. This was a physical resurrection. And He is, that is your hope. He rose from the grave and it was witnessed. It caused a response. You see, we, we get a taste even at the end in verse 50 and 56. There were those at that time that were following him, but they were keeping it a secret. These were the leaders. You see it? Look at verse 50. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man. He who had not consented to their decision and asking, he was looking for the kingdom of God. And so we see verse 52 to 55, he goes and asks for the body. So let me ask you something. What happened to Joseph of Arimathea, and the other gospel says Nicodemus was here too, to his position when he goes public, goes before Pilate and asks if he could bury Jesus' body in his own tomb. Secret follower no more, brothers and sisters. It was, it was on. After the life and death of Jesus Christ, there are no more secret followers. And so Joseph took him in a Jewish manner and washed him. This is the way it worked. 
They put myrrh and aloes on them and wrapped them up. But this was done in a hurry. It had to be, remember? The Sabbath's coming. Couldn't work on the Sabbath. And so time was of the essence. He had to be in the tomb before sunset. And so they did. They put him in. Joseph put him in his own tomb. A tomb that had never been used. And there were witnesses, weren't they? Some of them were obvious. Joseph and Nicodemus had to be there. But notice, look at verse 55. You need to see this. Verse 55. The women, here's the women again. The women had come with him from Galilee, followed, and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. You see that? The women were witnesses. They saw this. He's dead. He's dead. They saw him put him in the, in the ground. And remember the guards? Look at another place. The guards that were posted had to keep watch over that. If they did not, they would be killed. These witnessed the burial. Three days, chapter 24. But, all brothers and sisters, when you read your Bible, you need to be looking for these things. Anytime the Bible says, so that, then, if, but, how about, what if, you got to pay attention. This is something important. It says, but, on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. When they went in, they did not find the Lord's body. They went back on the first day of the week to uh, put spices on the Lord of his tomb, and he was there you see they, they knew he was there we saw him we saw him dead we saw him they put him on this little shelf here and they rolled the tombs the guards sealed that thing and now we get here i don't know where the guards were i wonder i'd have i'd have probably had me a plane ticket to somewhere <laughs> if i would have been there he was gone so they stand there perplexed I want you to notice verse 3. For the first time in the Passion narrative, Luke puts the Lord and Jesus together. You see it? They went in and they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. The crucified Jesus is now the reigning king. Luke wants you to see that this morning. He's crucified no more. Dead no more. He's risen. And so, while they stood there confused, verse 4, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them with dazzling apparel. And what did they say? Look at verse 6. He's not here, but has risen. Remember? Remember. It's a good word. Anybody ever loved you enough to tell you, you need to remember. He said, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise and they remembered these words told them what did he tell them do you remember what did he tell them to remember simply declare truth remember what he said remember what he said from the Lord himself do you remember that do you remember the truth and so they remember look at verse 8 they remember and they went that's the mission right there. They heard 
They remembered the proclaimed truth and they went. You see, they should have been expecting this, but they weren't. They weren't expecting. Disciples didn't make this up. They weren't expecting it. We're not even going to get into how the disciples responded to this when they went back. They, weren't, they didn't understand. We'll talk about that next week. But the messengers, what I want you to see this morning, is the messengers from God simply points to declared truth. Look at this, Jonathan Edwards. The angels offer no proof of Jesus' resurrection to the women. They proclaim the resurrection, and their proclamation makes faith possible. For faith is not a logical deduction from the facts of the empty tomb, but a response of trust to declare truth. Mm, that's good. Let's read that again. They proclaim the resurrection, and their proclamation makes faith possible. For faith is not a logical deduction from the facts of the empty tomb, but a response of trust to declare truth. So this is what I've... We've done this morning. We've simply looked at God's word and said, here's the truth this morning. That Jesus Christ was a person in history. God became flesh, dwelt among us. He lived a perfect life. And if he didn't live a perfect life, me and you are in trouble. Because we haven't. How many times did you stand for you got to church today? He lived a perfect life. And he stood in our place. He took our wrath. God rose him from the grave. That's the declared truth this morning. And it is your only hope. So what? We like to ask that question. Matter of fact, we ask it every week. And so, my wife reminded me, always good, when your wife reminds you, she reminded me what to wear this morning. Why do we ask so what? Because you need to ask so what? You need to ask Why? Why does this matter? Who cares? How does this apply to my life? Next week, this is going to be the point of the message. Because Jesus is going to explain himself to the disciples, and you don't want to miss his explanation and the effect it had on their life. I don't want to ask just two questions. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross this morning? If we want to put the gospel on full display, that's why you exist. That's why you exist, to bring glory and honor to God through putting his gospel on full display. Then why did Jesus have to die? So turn with me, a couple of real easy passages to remember. To answer this question, we look at Romans 3, 23. Brothers and sisters, this is why when someone asks you about the gospel, you need to open the Bible. The Bible is sufficient and the Bible is clear. And so we open it and we say, well, let's just read it. So why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. So... Why did Jesus have to die on a cross? Look at verse 23. Just so You see that in your notes. I want you to see just a few words here. It's real basic to understand why Jesus had to die. The first is sin. 
We should know that well. Those brothers and sisters, we are not good people that just sometimes sin. We are wicked people who cannot not sin. This is not only the truth of redemptive history. It's the truth of your history. Amen? That we cannot not sin. Our sin made the cross necessary. Sin to a holy God brings a declaration. And the declaration this morning is guilty. So we see we're in desperate need of something. So our sin made the cross necessary. Look at verse 24. And are justified, declared righteous by His grace. That's what the justified is. It is to be declared righteous and are declared righteous by His grace as a gift. So brothers and sisters, if you have a belief system that's got you on a treadmill working to earn something, that's not Christianity. Because Christianity hinges on one thing, grace. Grace is not grace as it is earned. It's not you going to work and working hard and getting a paycheck. That's not grace. You're just simply getting paid what you're due. What we are due is hell. What we are due is judgment. What we need is grace. And only at the cross. Oh, why did He have to die on the cross? Because we stand in need of grace. What does that look like? I've got to be righteous before a holy God. God's not holy. He's not granddad that says, it's okay. He's not. He's holy. He's not going to say it's okay. You must be declared righteous to enter His presence. You must be. That's why the cross was necessary. How could we be declared righteous? Scripture tells us. We're justified by His grace. How? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We must be redeemed. That's that ransom that went on. The judgment of God came down on Him for our sin. And we were redeemed. No, Jesus Christ didn't make salvation just simply possible. He paid debt on that sin for somebody. And if you're here today, and you're in Christ today, you should have our hands up today because He paid our debt on that tree. The fact that you know that, the fact that you love Him, is oh, only to the grace of God. That's why we're here today. That's why we have gathered together. We have been redeemed. That sin that we could not not sin, God reached down into our stone of our flesh, of our sinful nature, and He removed it, and He gave us a heart that beats for Him. And it is not perfect yet. We still have sin in our minds and our wills and our emotions, but He has changed our nature. He has broke the bondage of sin in our life, and that is why the cross was necessary. Because we are in such a bad state. Salvation is so impossible that only Christ can make it possible. And He made it possible on the cross. So what did He do? Well, it tells us. Verse 25. Whom God put forward. Who put Jesus forward? What's the clarity of Scripture say? God put Him forward. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. To be received by faith. What is that word right there? Propitiation. 
Don't you, have you used that word this week in work? <laughs> Don't use that word much, so we need to define that. It was clear in the sacrificial system. It's a positive word. It simply means that it is a sacrifice that bears the wrath of God to the end so that there is no more wrath and that wrath has now turned to favor. Grace. This is what happened on the cross. This is why he weeped at the garden. It was because he bore the wrath of God for you to such a degree that when we respond to the gospel by faith, there is no more judgment for you. If judgment was a drum, a 55-gallon drum of his judgment on the cross, it was poured on him. And so now all this there, when you flip it up, it's not empty. It's not empty. You hear me? It's not empty. It's full of grace. This is the spiritual blessing. It is full. There is no more judgment. This is the gospel. This is why Jesus had to die on the cross to remove your wrath, to break the power of sin in your life so that he might declare you justified and that we might receive him by faith as a gift. That's why Jesus had to die on the cross. That's good news, brothers and sisters. But we're not done. Why did he have to rise from the dead? Okay, if he did all that, that's, that's, that's good news for me. But listen, it's not good for you if he's a dead king. We name our dogs named by dead kings, right? Not good news if he's a dead king. So why did Jesus have to write, well, this is, this is awesome. It's easy to remember. Just turn over one chapter to Romans 4.23. Romans 3.23 helps us understand why the cross. Romans 4.23 helps us understand why did Jesus rise from the dead. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but also, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Do you see that? This righteousness that we need, it's why it's using this word, counted to you. The biblical word for that is imputed. He counts us as righteousness because of the work of His Son. That's why we put our trust and faith in Him. He counts us righteous. And here's why both the cross and the resurrection are absolutely imperative. Look at verse 25. He went, he went to the cross to deal with your sin. Trespasses. Sin causes legal issues. He went to the cross to deal with your trespasses. And look at this. And he was raised for our justification. He's declared righteous. In other words, if he has not been raised, you are not justified. Look at this definition. Justification is the gracious act of God which, by which God declares a sinner righteous solely through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what justification is. That is our only hope. You cannot earn or work to earn God's favor. You're not a good old boy. You're a sinner in desperate need of grace this morning and God grants it to us through the gift of His Son and proves it through the resurrection. His resurrection was proof of our justification. To such a degree 
that we died in Christ on the cross and we are raised with Him in the resurrection. We are with Him now. And He cannot lose us. Without the resurrection, there is no justification. I want you to see that. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17. Verse 17 says, And if Christ has not been raised from has been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ, listen, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Verse 20, but in fact, there it is again, but, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He is making a case here that no one who dies is lost in Christ. If you are dying Christ, you, are, you awake with Christ. He is our greatest hope, not only in this life. He says if it's only this life, if you're just following Jesus for this life, because He gives you your best life now, you're to be pitied. We follow a resurrected king whereby everything that happens in this life, no matter how hard it is, is simply a drop in the bucket compared to eternity. This is not your best life. This is the life that we live by faith in Jesus Christ. And He grants us eternal life that begins when we believe and goes into eternity. So this is the declaration Martin Lloyd-Jones says. The resurrection is the proclamation of the fact that God is fully and completely satisfied with the work that His Son did upon the cross. That's why, brothers and sisters, that after Jesus was resurrected, the church began to gather the first day of the week. Why? So that we never forget God fully and completely was satisfied, not with my good works, but with Christ's good works. And I put my faith in Him. Have you put your faith in Him today? We are about to stand and sing what we call a song of response. It's called No Other Fount I Know. This is my prayer. What I've prayed as we sing this song in just a minute. That this would be a song of response. Either for repentance and faith in Christ for your salvation. Or simply a prayer of praise for God's people. And so I, I bring you now. To the cross. And to the empty tomb. How will you respond? Let's pray. So Lord, as we have seen that you put your Son on display, and Lord, some of it is hard to watch. It's hard to see. Lord, none of us like to look at our sin. None of us want that to be put on full display. So, Lord, I thank you for the good news that even in the backdrop of my hopelessness, of my sin, there, has, there is the stars of your grace. And so, Lord, I pray for whoever's in the room, Lord. Lord, I remember reading in your word about those people 
who stood around Jesus and said, crucify him and crucify him. And we begin to see our face in that crowd. And Lord, your, your son Peter stood up and told them, you killed the king of glory and God raised him up. They said, what do we do? What do we do? And so Lord, I thank you for the gospel that simply said, here's what we must do. Repent of our sins and put our faith in Christ and you can be saved. Oh, God. We would leave here today not only with a declaration of righteousness, but a declaration of adoption. We are yours. You've given us your name. And no one can take that name away. We bear it into eternity. God, we thank you that your streams of your grace flow straight into the throne room of God where Jesus right now sits at your right hand and waits for you to say, come get my kids, get my kids. We pray, come Lord Jesus. But until he does, Lord, help us to remember, remember the truth and to go with the gospel to all peoples. And so now we just respond to you. Lord, for some, maybe for the first time in salvation. And for others, Lord, just to remind ourselves to just remember the beauty of your gospel. And so, Lord, now, will you receive our worship? We ask and we pray. And our brother, our risen Savior's name and his name alone, Jesus who is the Christ. Amen. Let's stand to our feet and worship our Lord. Nothing can